Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is another beautiful day that we have at Gospel Saving Church. Are we ready for another spiritual meal from the Lord? Praise be to God. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches in these last days. This is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. And I hope you came here today to be fed and not entertained. Because I'm not an entertainer. I'm not an actor. I'm not a playwright or a scrum. I'm an actual man of God that loves Jesus Christ, that preaches his word. So I hope you came here today to get fed. We always start with a word of prayer because, boy, oh boy, I need God's help. And I hope you realize that you need God's help too. And one of the ways we ask for help is to ask God, to say, God, I need your help. Please help me. And so we always open up with a word of prayer. Please join me as I pray and lift us all up and myself up and for God's help to understand and to do the things. Lord, thank you so much, God, for bringing us all here today, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, for giving us another, another beautiful day, Lord God. Every day is a gift, Lord God, it really is. I mean, I know these days are very weary, Lord God, as, as, as the days go on longer and longer and longer until Jesus Christ returns, Lord God, our days are very weary, Lord. But help us, Lord God, to not think of those weary times, but rather, Lord God, help us to think of our walk with you, Lord God, and the glory that we're going to have for you or with you when, when everything is all said and done, Lord God. Help us to keep our minds on the heavenly things, Lord God. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Lord, he said, keep your mind, stay your mind on the good things, on the godly things, on the righteous things, on the just things. Lord God, help us to keep our minds on those things, Lord God, and not the pollution, which is this world, Lord God, and all the things that are jobs and all the problems in the world, Lord God, help us to focus on you. Help us to understand your word today. Lord God, help us to understand your truths today, Lord God. And help me to teach those truths, Lord God, the way that they ought to be taught, Lord God. Not with sensationalism or not for my own gain or, or not because I want anything from anybody. Because the only thing I really want for anybody, Lord God, is that they would either, A, if they're yours, that they would grow in that walk with you, Lord God in heaven. And if they're not yours, Lord, are they're deceived and they think they're yours, but they're not, Lord, I pray that you would wake them up today and show them that they're not, Lord God, and, and, and bring them to you somehow in some way. That's all I care about for them. Anybody that listens to this message till the end of time, till Christ comes back for us, please, dear God, this is my prayer. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 32 through 35 today, but I'm not going to teach them or exhort on them or, you know, do anything on them until we look over my thoughts from last week's message. Let go and give it to God. The main thing we talked about last week was the idea that God is in control of the true believer's life. 100%. Plus, the things that happen in our lives and happen to us in our lives. Remember, uh, a keystone of the whole message last week, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. So again, that means nothing can happen to you. Nothing can happen to me. Nothing can happen to any one of us. We can't even do anything unless it's God's will for our lives and he means it for good. Wow. Isn't that awesome yeah. that God loves us that much? That he, he's so sovereign in our lives like that. Even when we make a mistake, that he's so sovereign to make that mistake to turn out for good to those that love him. 
and are called according to his purpose. Praise God. This is an amazing promise from our creator, isn't it? He has the whole universe to control. Every single thing in all creation to tweak out and make the grass grow and the planets spin around and the the big solar eclipse tomorrow that's going to happen here in America. All these things that he has to look, look after, right? And yet, what do we read in Scripture? God has a microscope, <laughs> a microscope on all of his children and their lives. Wow! Wow! This is, this is a promise that should give all of God's children a huge amount of comfort as we have confidence that God has our lives under a microscope. And since he does, we don't have to be afraid or ever worry, for we know he's got us. Let go and give it to God. As close as knowing as every current moment, this is how close God knows where you are. God knows where you are. God knows where I am. Matthew chapter 29, verses 29 and 30, Jesus said, of believers, because that's the context here. We can't say this same promise for unbelievers, people that don't believe, but for believers, Matthew chapter 10, 29 and 30, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin. And not one of them, which is his creation, his beloved animals on the face of the planet, not one of them falls to the ground apart from his will. So he knows it, and it happens. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Wow! He knows every single hair that's on our head, even those that are losing our hair. Not that I am, but I know people are losing their hair. And if a Christian loses hair, oh, God goes, oh, Okay, there were 1,250,000. Oh, no, minus one. One million. He knows. He knows. And with this kind of knowledge, that's why Jesus Christ said the very next verse, do not fear, therefore. Because he said, hey, this is the knowledge that you should, okay, here's what you should know about God. He loves you this much. He's got you under this microscope. He knows every hair you had. Therefore, (laughs) do not fear, therefore, he puts the therefore after, you are more value than many sparrows. Wow. No, No doubt why God said what he did in Isaiah 54, 17, a verse that everyone should know so well, but maybe you didn't see it this way. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, we all know this verse, right? And every tongue which raises against you in judgment you shall condemn. But listen, how do we know this is for Christians? How do we know this is for those who love God and not just for everybody, right? This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is what's in the verse. This is the heritage of who? The unbeliever? <laughs> no. No. The evolutionist who doesn't believe in God? No. Sorry. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Those that are redeemed, those that are saved, those that are walking in the blood of Christ, right? And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So Christians, don't worry about anything. God's got it. Really? Really, he does? The only thing that you have to worry about, if you're out there listening to me and you're like, oh man, praise God, the only thing I want you to worry about is is only this. Are you really his? Are you really his? Because again, so many just take all these promises in the Bible, like, oh, all these promises, great promises, but they don't realize that most of God's promises in his word are for those that are actually covered in the blood. For those that are actually washed in the blood, walking, and not, not, not those that are trampling the blood of Christ. Not those that have fallen away, not those that don't believe. For those that are washed in the blood, and the blood is sanctified in their lives. That's who this is for. The heritage of the servants of the Lord and, and Isaiah and, and Jesus Christ. Telling, if you read Matthew chapter 10, the whole chapter was written. He was, Jesus was talking to his disciples. His disciples, they were his. 
not to the world, but to his. And the whole chapter was speaking to him speaking to his personal disciples, saying that God knows the very hairs on your head. You go look at it, Matthew chapter 10. If you doubt, he called, in the very beginning of chapter 10, he calls his disciples to himself. He didn't say he called the whole world or everybody in the world, whether they believed in God or not. He said he called his disciples to himself and he taught them. So just FYI, right? So are you in God's camp so that you can receive these great promises I spoke on today? And if you are, praise God. Give it to God. Give everything to God. And don't worry because God's got it. If you're not in God's camp now and you're you're trampling on his blood or you're backslid, which is just trampling on his blood, or you're not sanctifying the blood or you never believed in him, you need to start worrying because you are in trouble. Unfortunately, you don't, you don't have his promises. You, you doesn't, he doesn't have your back. So you need to start worrying. But, but you could change it if today you just surrender. You just commit your life. Jesus, I need you. I don't want to not be yours anymore. I, I want you and I want all these promises. And he said, boom, you're in there. He said, you're mine. If you truly submit right, and commit. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. All right, our message title for today, moving on to our new message. I love it, I love it, I'm so excited. In Jesus Christ's name, we will dot, 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 right? That dot, dot, dot means what? Well, that we're going to do, what? Well, we're going to talk about that today. In Jesus Christ's name, we will, so if you want to read Acts chapter 9, 32 through 35 with me, that's where we're going to be. I hope you had it open. I, I warned you earlier that we were going to be there, so a good steward would have their Bibles open and ready. Verse 32 of chapter 9, it says this. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints, that's important, we're going to talk about that, who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ, notice that, that's important, big part of our sermon today, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately, which means he was healed. So I who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Wow. What an exciting section of scripture. Last week we read of Saul and how he disputed with the Hellenists, right? And remember they they wanted to kill him because I believe personally that they kind of thought Jesus was somebody else and Saul kind of said, no, 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 he's not. He's the Christ. He's, you know, the savior of the world. And and so of course they didn't like that because he shattered their beliefs. And so they tried, they were wanting to kill him. In verse 30 we read this, then they brought him down to Caesarea, sent him out to Tarsus. Now, just an FYI here, this is the last time we're going to read about Saul until chapter 11, where the church is doing some stuff, miracles are happening, and then Barnabas is sent that way, and then he goes and he gets Saul while he's still in Tarsus. So Saul gets some time out of the immediate limelight of the Bible. We don't exactly know where what he did or how long he was there or what he did while he was there, whether he preached whether he worshiped God, whether he spent time with Christ, whether he spent time studying the scriptures, we don't know for sure, for the Bible is very silent on this part of Saul's life, this time period. Exactly like Christ, how we don't know much about him 
uh, from the ages of 2 to 12. We have hardly nothing with zero about him, what happened. And then he only came to Jerusalem, and he, he did all this stuff, and he stayed there, and parents had to come back, and that was it a little bit for 12. And then from 12 to 30, when he started his ministry, we know zero again about his life. And of course, people have come up with crazy things in that, those times of his life, because the Bible is silent. And where the Bible is silent, we must stay pretty much silent. We can know a couple things from common sense, but as far as Christ, we can't just put things in there because we want to put things in there. How do we know, or what do we know of Saul and Tarsus? Here's what we do know, okay? Uh, This is the city he was born in. Remember, God calls him Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9-11. And in Acts 21-39, Paul, because now he's been named Paul now, because he got his new name, new creation, new name. Maybe Christians should do that today. He calls himself, I am a Jew from Tarsus, which does tell us that most definitely his family, right? And their home and their fields, which they were probably farmers because, you know, God gave land to Israel and they were supposed to farm their land. And so this is a place that at least he went where he had provision and he had sustenance. Praise God. He's faithful, isn't he? He called Saul out of the limelight for a little while and out of the works of him for a little while. But what did he do? Did he send him destitute? Did he send him to the streets of Jerusalem where he was homeless? No. God gave him provision, sent him back to the city that he was born in so he could have provision and stay there with his family. Plus, we do know this about Saul. He was a scholar, right? Remember, he was a Pharisee. And I do believe that all of this info, let's just know just a little bit. He probably spent that time there in Tarsus, probably really studying the Word of God. Because that's what Pharisees and that's what scholars did, right? And scholars study, right? So that's what we can guess that Saul did, and one other thing we can guess is that he probably helped his family on the farm, take care of the house, take care of the fields a little bit. You know, and that's what the Bible says, that a man, a workman's worthy of his wages, so of course Saul did just go there and sit on his butt and do nothing. He was working, doing something, probably helping his family. Just, just some interesting information there for you. Moving on from Saul for a little while, because the Bible does, again, until like X, a little while, a few chapters from now, Luke turns his attention to one of Christ's original disciples, Peter. Why? God is moving in a mighty way in Peter's life right now. Look to verse 32. Now, it came to pass as Peter, remember, Peter's in the limelight, and he will be for a little while, as Peter went throughout all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Just for your information, Lydda is a modern-day city called Lod in Israel. Lydia or Lot is roughly 30 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Just to give you a geographical area kind of picture in your mind, where was Peter going? Well, he was kind of a far away from home. He probably would have been on foot or even if he was on a horse or drawing. That's 30 miles. That's not like today. 30 miles is, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, depending on traffic. But, you know, then that could have been, you know, a day's journey or more, uh, you know, continuous travel. So here Peter is in Lydda. Most likely he's on a trip overseeing the churches that have been planted by the disciples after the persecution of the old Saul arose in Acts 8. And while visiting, he might have been discipling the Christians or the saints there in the churches. Now, notice my first big notice here in our scripture is that notice in verse 32 that the Bible just called the Christians, all the Christians in Lydda, he called them saints. The Bible calls them saints. Notice that they weren't some glorified, special people that some Catholic denomination deemed to be saints because they've, they've done some good moral thing or they've good, done some really outstanding job for the Catholic faith. Notice that it just says that the Christians in Lydda were saints. 
Just do a Bible study if you want. I did, of course. And, of course, the Bible, if you think I'm wrong, says all kinds of things about just regular Christians being saints, right? The, the idea that just special people or, or just, a, you know, well, this very, well, Mary or, well, you know, Mother Teresa or, oh, well, you know, Saint this or Saint that. Oh, we got to name them a saint because, oh, they really did. No, here we see that the Bible just says that the Christians in Lydda that he visited were saints, Again, if you don't think I'm correct, just go to, there's a little site called BibleGateway.com, and everybody can have access to it, probably anybody that's listening to me, even all over the world, unless you're in like North Korea, which I don't think you can get my message there. Just do a word search on saint, and just see, if you think I'm wrong, how the Bible uses the word saint. It doesn't use it in any specific way, as far as like to some special people, it just means born-again Christian. All right, moving on. So here we have Peter going on his journey, going throughout all the parts of the country, visiting the Christian churches and all the saints or born-again Christian people that are in them. But here Luke records one specific stop with some detail. Luke puts some detail on Peter's stop in Lydda. Why does Luke record Peter's stop in Lydda or La? Look at verse uh, 33. There he, Peter, found a certain man named Aeneas. That's the way you say it. You can look it up. and it's not. I always used to say Aeneas, but it's Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. Wow, think of that. So obviously, Peter wasn't just visiting the churches and its saints or its members. He was also walking around Lydda and maybe speaking to different people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he meets this fella, this poor, like, destitute fella, Aeneas, and he's in some terrible, terrible shape. This man has it pretty bad as he's been paralyzed and can't even get out of bed. I don't know if this has ever been you. I have been partially bedridden in the past before. Some things have fallen on me. I've had some heel issues, some knee issues. Where I, I mean, if I got up, it was like somebody chopping out my legs from underneath, knives sticking in this, that, and the other thing. I just didn't even want to get up. So I've been partially bedridden before. And, and let me tell you, it's no fun. This, this poor guy here, think of it. He's been bedridden, paralyzed bedridden for eight solid years with no getting up. Can't imagine. I just can't. He couldn't get up, in fact. Bedridden means that you are ridden to the bed. You're literally stuck. You can't get out. Which, if you think, how did he provide for himself? He was definitely a burden to all those that knew him, unless his family brought him somewhere where he could beg, kind of like the lame, lame, uh, the lame, lazy man that Peter and John met in front of the temple beg- begging a little bit back in, I think it was Acts chapter 2 or 3, where that guy, he did actually could get up. You know, he probably, if he had a crutch or could walk. But th- this guy here, bedridden, I-, I just can't imagine. How did he, how did he provide for himself? How, how, did he, how did he use the bathroom? Well, if you're bedridden, you, you can do the mental gymnastics there, and you can realize that he couldn't get up to go to the bathroom, so where did he have to go to the bathroom? Well, he had to go to the bathroom on himself, and so he was, he was in pretty bad shape. And then, you know, you have to clean yourself afterwards. I mean, this guy was in terrible, terrible shape, stuck in bed. What does Peter do when he comes across this poor man? Look at verse 34. Peter said to him, Aeneas... Jesus the Christ, that's important, I'm going to talk about that, heals you, arise, make your bed. And then what happened? Praise God. Then he arose immediately. Notice Peter here does a similar miracle to the ones that Jesus Christ himself did with, 
Again, praise the Lord, the same result as Aeneas is healed, except for Peter does this miracle a little different than Jesus did, right? Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you, arise and make your bed to him. Whereas Jesus Christ just said, hey, uh, whoever, rise up, stand up and walk. Right? Jesus just said the words and then they did it. Well, why would he have done this? Well, there's a couple important things to look at here. First, we know that every real and true minister or servant of Jesus Christ always gives him and God Almighty the glory. Always. It's, it's a temptation to take it upon ourselves when some, God does something miraculous with us, but every true minister of God will do things in the name of Jesus Christ, and when things are done through them, we always give God and Jesus Christ the glory. We don't take that glory to ourselves. And, and, and notice that he gave the healing credit, and, and he did the healing in the name of Jesus the Christ, right? Not the man, as he was the real Jewish Messiah. I did a uh, sermon at one time, Jesus is the Christ, and he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And that's how, why, Peter did it, why Peter did what he did there. The second reason why Peter said what he did, and the only reason really that the man was healed, was because he did it the way Jesus Christ said to do it. Yes, that's right. Peter did it exactly how Jesus Christ said to do it. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, Jesus Christ tells all of his disciples, Peter was one of them, how we ought to do these things and how these things were going to happen. Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will. Get that there? In my name. In Jesus Christ's name, we will. That's where the title of the sermon came from, in case you're wondering. He says, in my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, they will lay hands on the sick, exactly as Peter just did here, and they will recover, right? And so this is an absolute in the Christian faith. It is possible for real Christians and born-again believers, even today, August 20th, 2017, as the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still active today, as they were when Peter was alive almost 2,000 years ago, it is possible for us today to do all those things that Jesus Christ said. In Jesus Christ's name, of course, not in our name, right? In Jesus Christ's name, we will, and these signs will follow us. This means Jesus said this is stuff that you can expect to happen, right? We will cast out demons. We will speak with a spiritual language, we speak in tongues. We will hold serpents and deadly serpents, you know, like ones that could bite us and kill us. And we can drink deadly or poisonous things without being hurt or killed. And the most exciting one I'm going to talk on last today, we can lay hands on the sick or the lame or the diseased or the paralyzed or the bedridden or whatever. And they, sh they will be healed or they will recover again, even today. Now, although all of God's children will do all of those miracles, we must be careful how we take what Jesus Christ is saying to us in Mark 16, and we must be careful how we take how Peter did what he did with Aeneas, as many, of course, unfortunately, have abused these things that, were, that Jesus said in Mark 16, and they've really done some damage to the Christian church. Just because he said, notice here, because I always look for what Jesus doesn't say. I, I, I was teaching on that some time ago, and we always look at the words 
but we never look at what the words don't say. That's important here because notice in Mark 16, you can turn there if you want. In fact, Mark 16 for really, I've only got one more verse in our section. Mark 16 will be the main focus on what we're really going to be looking at for the rest of today, okay? Uh, and what he said there, he's just because he said, in my name we will expect to see those types of signs and miracles to follow us. Notice he doesn't there guarantee every single one of them that Every Christian will do 100% of the time, all the time, like it's a guarantee every single time we lay our hand on someone, boom, they're going to be healed. Or it's a guarantee every single time we do this. It's he doesn't say those things. He just said that in those things, we will. This is, an this is a super important detail that we cannot miss. Again, many have distorted what Jesus Christ said in Mark 16, and because of it, they've done real damage to the Christian faith. They really have. Breaking down, I'm going to break down all the different things now Jesus said in Mark 16, all those different things that Jesus Christ said God's kids will do in his name, but that Jesus Christ never guaranteed 100% of Christians to do 100% of the time every single time we did them. Can or should a true Christian purposely go out of their way to drink poisonous things and hold deadly serpents with the guarantee of no danger to them, as many have believed that Jesus Christ has said. Eh, let's go out of our way to drink poisonous things and hold deadly serpents because Jesus Christ said, well, Matthew 16, Jesus Christ said that we can or we will do those things. Now, is this one 100% guarantee? Well, it, it's, it's, it, it, God sees your heart. No, no, and that's kind of a scary thing that God can see your heart. And of course, if we're in a position, as uh, Paul was, remember in Acts 28, where he's crash-landed on, on, on Malta, and they're, they're walking around, and they're cold, and it's rainy, and, and he's gathering sticks, and, and what happens is he's gathering sticks, and then he reaches in to put the sticks down, and a viper latches onto his hand, right, and, and, and bites him, and then, oh, the natives think, oh, he's a dead man. And he's a cursed man. Oh, the, the, the shipwreck didn't kill him, but no, fate has got him. And so there we see that the end result was Paul did not die, or Saul or Paul did not die. Why? Because he wasn't trying to do those things. Is it possible for a Christian to handle a serpent or to pick, drink something deadly if they're not wanting to or if they're not meaning to or let's say somebody forces them to and they have no choice? Well, I, I believe there that Probably 100% of the time, God's going to say, hey, you know, you, you didn't try. I see your heart. Boom. You, you know, and then you're not going to be harmed. It's going to be a sign and a wonder and a miracle. Exactly how Jesus Christ meant it in Mark 16. But would God or his Holy Spirit lead one of his true children to purposely go out of their way to drink poisonous things and hold deadly serpents, guaranteeing their safety, as Jesus said, that you shall handle serpents and drink poisonous things and not be hurt. And I'm sorry, I have to say no. We don't read of even one example of this in the Bible anywhere. God never led one person ever to drink something poisonous or hold a, a, a poisonous serpent and say, oh, just do that, my son, and, and, you, and you'll be guaranteed nothing will happen to you. Yet even though we don't read one example of this happening in the Bible, whether you know it or not, 
Because of what Jesus Christ said in Mark 16, America has seen wackos whom they thought they were Christians, maybe they were, maybe just delusion, that have actually taken Christ's words in Mark 16 completely out of context to mean that they should purposely hold deadly snakes during their Christian services. It's no wonder why, I'll just jump right ahead, it's no wonder why to say, because I did a lot of research on this, many, many, much, 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 much time during this last week studying about this stuff here, no wonder why many of them had been bit, had terrible repercussions, and then there was even a pastor that died in 2014 because of it, right? Just FYI, so you know, there's about 125 deadly snake handling churches in America. That was, the last, that was the last study that they had done. Mostly they're all in the South, and mostly, I believe, all Pentecostal. That, amen, amen. And they believe that Jesus Christ said that they should handle these deadly serpents in worship to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Wow! And there's no wonder why in 1945, Tennessee passed a law that no one can handle deadly snakes because guess what? Five people died in Christian churches because they were handling deadly snakes. Wow. In fact, of the pastor who died in 2014, you could look it up online. I'm not going to give any names, but you can search it out online. This man, before the fatal bite in, in around 2000, I don't know, 12 or 13 or whatever year it was, I forget the year, he had bitten, been bitten eight previous times while he was holding serpents, worshiping the Lord, so-called, right? And even one time, the snake bit him on his finger. He refused medical treatment. Jesus is going to heal me. His word says, Mark, six, Mark chapter 16, guys shall handle deadly serpents and nothing shall happen to me. And, and, what ha and he shows it in the video. It's disgusting and sick. His finger, he, he bit him, and at about the first knuckle or second knuckle, it rotted. He didn't get any anti-venom. He didn't go to the doctor. And his finger ended up dying on the tip of his hand. It died, and then one time he says, I was working in the garden, and it broke off. And now there he has a nub where that finger used to be, and he showed it in the video because his wife wanted him to keep it, so she would always have a piece of him wherever he went. And that all from them taking Jesus' words in Mark 16 out of context, thinking that they can handle deadly serpents without repercussion. And yet the last time, even the last time, the time that he got bit, that he died, they came and they tried to minister medical attention to him, and he refused it, and the snake venom killed him, and he died. All because he took Mark's words, or Jesus' words in Mark 16, out of context. Is this what God wants us to do, Christians? Does God want us to, to handle deadly snakes and purposely drink poison so that he can protect us? Eh. Christians, as, as one of our members just said, this is tempting God. This is absolutely putting God to the test. And isn't that exactly what Satan did to Jesus Christ in the wilderness when he came to him three times? Oh, if you are the son of God, well, prove it. Well, if you are this and jump off through, oh, angels will catch you. Oh, yeah, turn that stone. And Jesus Christ said, what? Get behind me, Satan. It, the word of God says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So I'm sorry. 
Yes, Jesus in Mark 16 said, we shall handle deadly serpents and we shall drink things that are poisonous, but he did not mean that we should purposely go out of our way to do those things to attempt the Lord God Almighty and say, well, I'm going to do this and, you know, God's just going to protect me because, you know, Mark 16. I'm sorry. That is not what God said. Now, next, moving on. I could talk about that one all day long. Can and will 100% of all born and Christians, believers in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, speak with new tongues or have a spiritual language? I'm sorry, there's a no to that one too. Some will, some won't. If, you see, if Jesus Christ really meant that 100% of all Christians would have this gift 100% of the time, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have written what he did in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 12, where he says this, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. You see, Jesus never in Mark 16 guaranteed, but so many Christians think that he did, guaranteed that Christians, all Christians, would have a spiritual language. Like, whenever they want, or 100% of the time, he never guaranteed that we would, or else Paul wouldn't have said what he did. You see, the Bible always confirms itself. And you see, if we see a doctrine, and I'll talk about this at the end of the message too, if we see a doctrine in our world, and we really study the doctrine, and we say, you know, Lord, what is this, is this doctrine true? If we hold that doctrine up against the Word of God, and the Word of God shows even one contradiction, on that doctrine, then that doctrine is not true. Because, as the Bible says, let God be true in every man a liar. That's just really the way it is. So we have to be careful how we're looking at the things that in Jesus Christ's name we will. We will. Hey, I don't have the particular gift of speaking in tongues, but guess what? There have been times in the past that I have spoken in tongues as God has enabled me at certain times a couple few. But yet you have a whole denomination, oh my goodness, a whole denomination that teaches, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. If you don't speak with the Holy Ghost, you're not born again. You just don't have the Holy Ghost. They actually believe that. There's actually a denomination in our world that believes, a super strict denomination that believes that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Yet here we see that Paul says to some this, to some that, to another this, to another that. If, he, if it was to all, he, said, he would have said, to all they work miracles. To all they have all prophecy. To all they can discern spirits. To all they get tongues. To all they get interpretation of tongues. But he doesn't say that. He says to another, to some, to this, to that. Christians, be careful how you're interpreting the word of God. Please, 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 please. Next, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 16 that his followers in his name, in Christ's name, that we would cast out demons. Now, this one here, is it 100%? It can be, depending on your faith. Absolutely. You see, the Bible has something, some awesome promise to God's children. And that one of those promises is that when we're saved, we're born again. And when we're born again, that means that God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And the Bible says that we're actually sealed by this Holy Spirit of God till the day of redemption. You see, well, that means that God or a piece of God, one of his parts, is actually dwelling within us. He kind of, God makes us his home. That's why the Bible in the New Testament says that Christians are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives within us. And you see, just as Jesus Christ, when he stood before demon-possessed people, how he would cast out that demon-possessed person, we now have the same God living within us. And if we were to stand up against a born-again or against somebody that's demon-possessed, we can, as long as we're operating in the power that God told us to operate, in Jesus Christ's name, of course, we can, of course, cast out that demon. So again, the children of God have the same authority, Bible says so, unlike snake handling, unlike speaking in tongues, and unlike the next biggest thing we're going to talk about, all Christians, if you're born again, have the ability to cast out a demon. If you really want to test if you're really born again, you could always go to a foreign country where they have many demon possessions. Here in America, we don't have very many, very few, or we don't have that many. I've actually met one man that was demon possessed, and he didn't scare me or, you know, it didn't bother me. And he, we stood toe to toe. He spoke in about 17 different languages or 15 different languages. And, and uh, I didn't, wasn't moved to cast him out. But then again, he didn't hurt me either. And so, but if you want a real test of your salvation, go to a foreign country. They have many deemed possessions in foreign countries uh, and the countries where it's not as modernized as America. And uh, you see, hey, cast a demon out in Jesus Christ's name. It'd be pretty exciting. Next and last, remember Jesus Christ said in Mark 16 that in my name, in Christ's name, this sign will follow. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, praise God. This is one of the most exciting in Jesus Christ's name signs that a born again follower of Christ can look forward to doing as they go out and serve Jesus Christ. For he said, this sign will follow those that are mine, right? And and I do, as I said earlier, absolutely believe that a true child of God will lay their hands on a sick, lame, diseased, bedridden, whatever person. And in Jesus Christ's name, that person or persons will recover. Just as we saw happen with Peter and this bedridden man in Acts chapter 9, right? And as we're going to see with Peter and Dorcas next week as we study next week's sermon. Excuse me. But here again, we have to be careful on what Jesus Christ is saying to us in Mark 16, right? Is he saying, is he saying, is he guaranteeing? That 100% of Christians, 100% of every time that they lay their hands on a sick, lame, or diseased person, etc., in his name, and that person will 100% of the time, they will recover. Is that really what he's saying? No, I'm sorry, he's not. Nowhere in God's word does this verse exist, this verse here. I, God, guarantee that a Christian will lay hands upon a sick person and they will be 100% healed, guaranteed, 100% every time in Jesus Christ's name. If this verse exists, please, 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 please email it to me. I'd love to read it. If I'm wrong, I'll recant before the public of the world, but please show it to me. If 100% of the time, a Christian can lay their hands on a sick person or on an ill person and ask or pray for healing, and and God heal them 100% of the time in Jesus Christ's name, then why would we read what we do in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, where Paul is writing about a problem that he had? 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul says this, And least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. 
Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord, and that would mean in Jesus Christ's name, he was praying, so this would be for him. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, short answer, no. Long answer, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, he says, he goes on to say, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. And it's not just the infirmity. He goes on to kind of detail all the things that were happening to him. He takes pleasure in the infirmities and reproaches, which would mean people rejecting him, in needs, which means that he didn't always have everything he needed, in persecution, when people were hurting him, outside source people were hurting him. That would, that's what persecution is. If somebody's sent to persecute you, then that means it's an outside source coming to attack you. That's how we know that this infirmity that he's talking about here was not people outside coming to persecute him here because he, he lists it off in his list of the things that he's saying, I'll, I'll rejoice in all of these things. I'll rejoice in when people come and hurt me. People come and persecute me. I'll rejoice in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says there that God allowed Satan to give him some kind of infirmity. We don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't say, but it was some kind of infirmity. The Greek word there for infirmity was, is, I might botch this up now, asthena, I believe that's it, I could be wrong. And as the biblical text records in the New Testament, it's used like this. Understand, two times were just used there in 1 Corinthians 12, but it's used as infirmity 17 times, two there being our scripture we just read, weakness five times, disease once, and sickness once. Now again, we don't know exactly what kind of infirmity this was, but it was some kind of ailment, some kind of pain, some kind of malady of some sort, right, that was in his flesh and it made him weak. Same way, the way I look at this is just how Job was afflicted by Satan, same way, God allowed that to happen. Something God allowed, because God has to allow the devil to do anything to his children. God allowed some kind of problem in Saul's flesh that made him weak. And because of it, he suffered greatly. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Saul, Paul, suffered greatly, right? As hence, why he asked God three times to take it away or to heal him of it? And God's answer, short answer again, was no. No, Paul, I'm not. Because guess what? It wasn't will for Paul's life. It wasn't God's will for Paul's life to do that. God said there, Paul said what, what God said, Paul had to suffer because of the high revelations, God had given Paul some amazing revelations, some like supernatural, mind-blowing revelations. And, and here we read that Paul said that if I'd not got those things, I could have been I could have highly exalted myself, which means what? Paul, if he didn't have this affliction or whatever it was, could have fallen into pride. And what does pride come before? Well, we talked about it just before service. Pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before the fall. So God said, it's better for you to have this, whatever I'm giving you, this affliction that we don't read about in Scripture, because if you don't have it, you, you may just get so exalted, and when we fall into pride, we fall away from God. 
So better to be afflicted by something in God's eyes than to fall away from him. And, and of course, he loved Paul, and that's why he showed him those things, and Paul sought his heart. Now, if God guaranteed healing 100% of the time to someone who laid hands on a person in Jesus Christ's name, whom was sick or had some kind of infirmity, and every time they did or even prayed for a healing in Jesus Christ's name, uh, and they had the faith, we can't forget that, and it was a guaranteed healing 100% of the time, then why would God Almighty not have allowed healing to a man that did more for the Christian faith than any other single apostle in the entire Bible? Because that's what Paul did. Paul furthered the gospel more than anybody that lived then and more, that's any, and more than anybody that's lived today. Because, you see, he didn't. Because guaranteed healing, just because we lay our hands on, Jesus, uh, on someone in Jesus Christ's name, is not 100% of the time a guarantee. And that's a false doctrine to believe that it is. You see, like I said before, if you see a doctrine, and, and all this is a great doctrine, but if you look in the Bible and you see just one place where the Bible says that doctrine is not true, one place where, well, the Bible, they say 100%. Well, uh, the Bible, uh, Paul, God didn't heal Paul? What? Then you see that doctrine is false. As God, let God be true, let every man be a liar, you see. And that's just the way it works. Why would God not grant a healing in Jesus Christ's name 100% of the time? Why wouldn't he? Well, maybe because it doesn't meet a couple of the specific stipulations found in God's Word. Number one, of course, we're supposed to do it in faith. And we, and we know that we must have faith. We must just believe that no matter what the outcome, hey, no matter, God, whether you, I know you can, but God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe on it. But God, you're not my genie, so I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I, but I know you can, right? And you, but it has to meet another stipulation. Like John 14, 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Jesus Christ said, but, but if you just read on, we read a little stipulation there. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You see, there's a stipulation that when we pray, even though we may have faith and, and believe, oh Lord, I know you, praise God, I'm believing it, Lord, and I know you can. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray you hear this person. If that prayer, for some reason, and the way we're doing it, our, either that person or where we're at, if that prayer and that situation doesn't glorify God in Jesus Christ, then here, that, that whole John 14 is wiped out. Whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he's not glorified in the Son, well, then that's not a prayer that he's going to answer because, again, it's not glorifying the Father in the Son. Another one of God's main men, the Apostle John, tells us in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, when would it not be God's will? Well, same for Saul, same for Paul. I keep calling him Saul because we're in the section where it's talking about Saul. But his name switched over to Paul. Same for Paul. It wasn't God's will to heal him of whatever terrible, terrible ailment that God had allowed Satan to buffet his body with. And so therefore, God didn't heal Saul. Because you see, God only gives, the Bible says, good gifts to his children. And if something we ask for, even though we may think that healing or we may think this or that may be a good thing, if it's not good in God's eyes for whatever reason, and he knows best, 
then he's just not going to do it. So, can any true child of God lay their hands on someone sick, diseased, lame, bedridden, or whatever, and in Jesus Christ's name that person be healed? Absolutely. Absolutely it can. But it must be done in Jesus Christ's name through faith. It must, be, it must meet those stipulations. It must glorify God in Jesus Christ. And it must, of course, be God's will for that person that you're praying for or that you're asking for it for. Now, the reason I listed this one, one sign and miracle that Jesus Christ said would follow those whom were truly his last, right? And then, and then showed you these, that there aren't, this is not a 100% guarantee to this, is because this one spiritual gift in particular, this one spiritual gift, this one thing that Jesus Christ said was going to follow, all those who were his, that it will follow, has been abused in the church, has been abused amongst Christians or people that think that they're Christians or say that they're Christians for a long time, and it's really, really, really put a hurt on the church. They've abused it. It's been an abuse to the church, and it's, it's hurt a lot of people, and, and it's really sad, and it's sad, and it's even more sad, and it's sickening. Ungodly people, and I do believe super and utterly ungodly people, have really jumped on this healing guaranteed, not even in his name, and have run away, run away with it. It's, it's really sickening. I did a search over this last week on YouTube, and I just searched healing services. You can go put this in yourself, and that's all you have to search on YouTube, healing services. Well, I watched two or three different ones, and literally, sickeningly, my mouth hung wide open as I watched these YouTube videos. One man's Pentecostal healing service videoed for a little over a half hour, but they cut some out. Thanks be to God because I could barely take what I was watching, really, I, I really could. And in it, I, just show it to me in the Bible, because I'd love to see it. In it, they danced. They sang in their fancy outfits and their three-peat suits, and they screamed and shouted while, they, while this supposed man of God was saying things like, Receive it! receive it and shouting glory to God, glory to God as he's going through it all while people are laughing and, and supposedly speaking in tongues. And then he was promising them that they would be healed, guaranteed basically because of what Jesus Christ said in Mark 16. He said things like, if you just believe, you will receive the healing that you're needing. While at one point he, he was going down, as we all know, we've seen the services, touching people's heads and then them falling backwards and all supposedly getting healed. Wow. He said things like, when his presence is in the room, you can receive whatever you want. Wow. Where's that verse in the Bible? If you just believe and you just receive, you can have whatever you need. And this, this is another one. Please show me the verse. Angels tear up when God's people get a healing. Wow. All right, I don't read that one either. Every time he'd speak, they'd play a little quick snippet of a high-pitched music in the background just to get people excited. All sensationalism, right? This, this is the one, I, I, I don't know how I didn't vomit. I really don't know how I didn't vomit. I, I, I'm sorry that I have to tell you guys that this is how it is, but maybe you already know. He used Isaiah 53, and by his stripes we are healed. And, and, I, and I understand that section of scripture, and Jesus Christ did come and he did bear those things, but this is how he put it. He literally said, and I, and I quote, please, I'm sorry. His back was beaten 
for your back ache. They put a crown of thorns on his head to heal your headache. Wow. They nailed his hands and stuck a spear in his side into his heart so that every part of your torso could be healed. They nailed his feet for your swelling ankles, for your bunions, for your knees and your ankles. Are you kidding me? I just don't read that in the scripture. He was wounded for our transgressions, and by his stripes I am healed, meaning physical healing again, with a guarantee idea of just believe. He says, God's given it to you. Just take it. Wow. Everybody, of course, jumping around, buying into this garbage, so much just jumping around, running around in circles, even crying as they're showing people in the audience, crying, and, and him, he, he was so excited. Wow, you got to hear this. He was so excited. <laughs> Let's listen to what he did. At one time, he wipes his brow with a towel. Then he looks at his watch to see when the service was going to end, when he was supposed to end the service. And then he jumps right back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, that, and the other thing. Oh, yeah. Wow. Holy camoly. Just show me in the Bible where anything like what I just described to you ever happened. Ever. What, what did Peter do with Aeneas? He walked up, he saw him, Aeneas, in Jesus Christ's name, you're healed, get up. Oh, where did, they, did they have a healing service for three hours? And, and he, did he touch people's heads and they fell backwards? No, when Jesus Christ touched people, they stood up. They didn't fall down, they stood up. Wow, right? And, and at one, time, one point in the video, he said, now here, here's the kicker, here, Here's the real, this, this is the real deal in research, what my research pulled out here. At one point in the video, he said that the devil told him he was going to die. Well, I was wondering why he kept saying that, because he kept saying it throughout the whole video. Oh, the devil told me I'm going to die. And I just told him, you know, and, but, but God came to me and he said, you're going to live. You're going to live. The devil keeps telling me I'm, I'm, I'm going to live. And the service, just coincidentally, was recorded during the time he was fighting for his life because he had cancer. Wow. And he spoke that again, God said, you're going to live. And he chanted this over and over and off and on during different parts of the video. Yet I found out later when I searched, he died in March 2007 after struggling two years with prostate cancer at the age of 67. So much for God told me I'm going to be healed, claiming the healing in God's name. It's a guarantee. So much for a guaranteed healing when he asked Jesus Christ, by, in Jesus Christ's name, by faith. And, and if it was 100% true and he was going to get healed, then every time you ask something in Jesus Christ's name or lay your hand on somebody 100% of the time, why did he die of prostate cancer two years after he was fighting for it? Even while he's in the, he's doing healing services, proclaiming these truths over his head. Wow. If if that was true, and this fellow believed it, then why didn't God, in Jesus Christ's name, heal his prostate cancer? Simply because 100% healing in Jesus Christ's name is not guaranteed, and it wasn't God's will to heal this man. That's just it. It wasn't God's will. For whatever reason, God's his will, it wasn't his will to heal this man. 
And just another little video that I watched on another little fella, uh, he didn't even say one time in Jesus Christ's name you're healed, as one person in the comments pointed out, but yet he walked around and laid his hands on people and they fell over backwards as again, you know, Jesus touched people and they stood up. They didn't fall down. Yet these people touching people's heads and they fell down right on the floor, supposedly being healed. Yeah, right. Come on, Christians. If the last in Jesus Christ's name we will lay hands on anyone, and a hundred percent of the time they be healed, if this element of our spiritual walk with God were true, and the healing of anyone was guaranteed because of our faith, outside of it being God's will, or glorifying God in Jesus Christ to do it, then that would make people God, and God not. That's really what it boils down to. It would make him our personal servant and our personal genie. Does that sound like the God of the Bible to you? I'm sorry, it doesn't. We're the people. We're the servants of God. God is our Lord if you're saved. God is God. He's the one that's in control and in charge of your life and the one that you're following, right? Uh, I'm sorry that I have to keep bringing this up, but, but serious reverence should always be given to God. And when I look at doctrines that I hear about and that I see in our world, and it makes God look like some kind of subservient being or, or less than us somehow, then I must expose those as erroneous doctrines. The, the erroneous doctrines that they are, for that is one thing that God has called me to do in the ministries that he's given me to do. Well, what is another way that I know that this doctrine specifically is not biblical, those that have created it today? Those whom primarily practice it. Now, I'm not saying there haven't been people that God has called to specific healing ministries like we've known about in the past. We've seen them, and they're real. And, and this is what they do, and this is what the people that are fake that have abused this idea, this is what they don't do. Those who primarily practice this don't give the glory to God Almighty and Jesus Christ. Who gets the glory in their ministries? They do. They get the glory as, as who they are. They don't give the glory to God. As were people that have had really, truly ministry. Look at Peter. Who did he give the glory to? He, he said, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. He didn't even take anything on himself at all. At all, at all, at all. Uh, the main ideas, because this is such a shameful topic. The main ideas about healings that God gave us uh, stipulations to laying hands on people in Jesus Christ's name that they would be healed. Number one, uh, whatever you ask in my name, John 14, 13, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again, we already talked about that. That God is glorified in Jesus Christ. Uh, number two, John 5, 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, we know he hears us right, and we have what we shall ask for, right? It's if, if the healing that we're, in Jesus Christ's name, asking for isn't God's will for whatever reason, because we don't have the mind of God, right? We have the mind of Christ, but we don't have the mind of God. We don't know exactly why he sometimes does things and why he sometimes doesn't do things, right? If it's not his will, then it's not going to happen, right? Number three, of course, we know that we truly do have to have faith. We truly do have to say, God, I truly believe I have faith. I know, Lord God, you are able to do all that I ask of you to do. And number four, uh, opening people's eyes to the fact that Jesus is indeed the Christ. As Jesus said in John 10, 37-38, If I do not do the works of my Father, speaking of miracles and healings and everything, do not believe me. 
But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And what is God hoping for? And all of these four reasons that we pray and ask for things and lay hands on people's heart, you know, ailments and then they will be healed. What is God really wanting us to do in Jesus Christ's name there? What is he hoping for, right? He's hoping for the last of our verses today in Acts 9, verse 35. So all who dwelt in Lydda, or Lod, and Sharon, a neighboring area, saw him or saw the thing that happened. And what happened? They turned to the Lord. That's what God is hoping for. And all of the stuff, and all of the laying hands on, or casting demons out, or, or, or speaking in tongues, or, or, or healing people, God's hoping to get your attention so he can reveal Jesus Christ to you, that you so that you will see how awesome he is, because he's hoping that you'll turn to him so that you can be saved. And the miracles and all those things that Jesus Christ said, Mark 16, are all there to help us believe and help the people that we're ministering to or help the people that we're talking to about these things to believe. The miracles and the healings were never then and still today never supposed to be the focus. Ever. Ever. The mir- never supposed to be the focus. Jesus Christ and his salvation were supposed to be the focus. Remember, John 10. If I do the works of my Father, do not, or if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works. Look at the things that I'm doing. So what? That you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. And so basically, even if you don't believe me because of just somebody says my name, Jesus said, believe in the works or the signs, wonders and miracles and healings that I do and that I've done. And then because of those things that you see, then you'll know that I'm really Jesus the Christ. Then you'll know I am the Messiah. And, and, and why does God want us to believe that Jesus is the Christ? So that we can come and have the relationship with him that he wants. The saving relationship with him that he wants. In, in closing, when Jesus said that he wants us to believe in him for salvation, what exactly does this mean? Is he telling us that we just need to believe in him like we believe or know of the sun, the moon, the stars, or as the average American knows of our president, right? Does he, does that, is that the kind of belief that he wants us to have, right, or of the leader of our country? Oh, I know of that guy, you know, the average American, the average person in their country. Oh, I know of that, that guy, this, that, and the other thing. I know of him. Not quite. And the reason we know that this kind of belief is not the one that Jesus Christ wants us to have for salvation is because Jesus himself speaks in the Gospels of more than just this believing of for salvation. Where? Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him just believe in me. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the American Gospel. I'm sorry. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. What? He said there's more than just a head belief? No, he's describing the kind of belief that we should have, the people he wants people to have to be saved. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and let him follow after me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The main idea is there. Once we believe of him as the Christ, as 
the Savior of the world. He requires us to commit our lives to Him totally. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever gives their life to me, gives over their control of their personal life to me, then he will find eternal life. Surrendering our hearts, our minds, our wills to him, and letting him be in charge of our lives. Us giving him the honor of being our master and our Lord. Us stop living our lives for ourselves where we are our God. Ladies and gentlemen, we, most people, they do live as they are their own God. And that's whether they, whatever profession they make out of their mouth, whether they profess to be a Christian or profess to be an atheist or profess to be a Buddhist, who's their real God? <clears throat> we'll just look at their lives for a little while. You'll see their real God is themselves. For who do they serve themselves? How do you know? Well, they do everything to make themselves happy. Everything, to make, even including trample on you. Do evil things to you, do bad things, no matter how religious they say they are, no matter religion or no religion that they belong to, who do they serve? Themselves. He says, deny yourself. Don't know. Put yourself off the throne, person, if you believe me to be the Christ, and put me on the throne. I'm Lord. I'm God. Give me that honor, right? Start living your lives for me and my ways, and me first, and you last. Not you first, and me last. That's what it means to be saved, that you turn and you say, the cross before me, the world behind me. Jesus Christ is now my Lord, right? Many think that they belong to him, uh, but just know of him, again, as they know the sun, the moon, the stars, and and all the different things in this world. But Jesus requires a person to know him, to know him intimately for salvation. For, for as you know, you're intimately, you know your wife or your husband or your little child. This is how Christ says, know me. Deny yourself. And this knowing him personally and intimately will cause you to live a different life. And that life makes God and Jesus Christ the most important person in your life, in his ways, the ways in which you live and operate as a whole in your life. His word is your map and your guide through life. Please examine yourself to see today where you stand with God. Who's really important to you? Do you live your life for you or do you live your life for Jesus Christ? Who is the most important person in your life? You or Jesus Christ? Please examine yourself. And if you find, well, it's me, Jesus says, repent. Turn to me. Let me be the most important person in your life, not yourself and turn to him today if this is you and you say well no i look at my house i live my life for jesus well then praise god in jesus christ's name will you step out in faith and will you in jesus christ's name start laying hands on people as i actually just started doing this last week as as i did over this sermon and god inspired me i'm like you know even though I know God Almighty, it's not 100% guarantee because I'm not your God, you're mine. And, and if, it's, you're not, if it's not your will, it's not going to happen. I started laying hands and saying, in Jesus Christ's name, be healed. And it, it already worked one time. It was God's will to do a healing just yesterday. And will you step out of faith and start doing that? Because this is what Jesus Christ said you can do, you will do if you're his. But please, 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 please. Don't make him your servant. 
Don't make him your genie. Just do it because he said to do it and take him at his word and just believe him. But don't have healing services and, and dance around over people and, and touch people's head and knock them down. Don't do all that crap. Just do it the way the Bible says to do it. And just trust him. And if it's God's will, and God, if it's your will, I, I want this to happen, then it's God's will and it'll happen. And just trust him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you so much, Lord God, that in my walk with you over the last 17 years, Lord God, I've through, through your, your work through me, Lord God, your hands through me, Lord God, you, I've laid hands on people, I've prayed for people, I, I've, I've commanded things to go away and they've gone away, and I, Lord, thank you so much. Lord God, for this is, you said in, in my name, this, these are the things that people will do that are mine. And Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that these things have come out of my life. Lord God, I, I pray that those listening to me, Lord, I, I pray that they would examine themselves, Lord God, and, and that they would even say, well, have any of these things happened for me? Or have I even ever done or tried these things that Jesus Christ said in Mark 16, as we saw Peter do today with Aeneas? Uh, Lord, and I pray that if they think that they're yours, Lord, that they'd start operating in those things and, and taking you at your word. And, and uh, Lord, if, if, of course, something happens and they're forced to drink poison, or if, of course, something happens and they're, they're accidentally bitten by a snake, Lord, that they would just believe and trust in you, Lord God, and just, just trust you. Or if they didn't, weren't doing it on purpose, Lord God, you said that those signs would follow you, that no harm will come to us. Lord God, I just, just pray, Lord God, in all the intentions of our heart, Lord God, it would never be to test you or tempt you. God, I pray that it would always just be if those of us that are yours, Lord God, because you said it, Lord, and I can do it, Lord, because you said I can do it, and then us stepping out there in faith. Help us be bold to do that, Lord. Lord, for those that are not yours, Lord God, out there that are listening to me today, but thought they were yours, Lord, I, I pray, dear God, that you'd wake them up and that you'd show them, Lord God, who's the Lord of their lives, them or you. Show them. Please show them, God. And if it's not you, wake them up. Shock them to life, Lord God, with these words that I'm speaking right now, Lord God. For if Jesus Christ is not their Lord, they will not go to heaven to stay. Please, dear God, show them the truth. Bring them to repentance that leads to life. I love you and praise you and thank you, dear God. And I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.